I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. Streaming video, if you want to watch the show, just call your friends, tell them to get on the internet, www.bornagainmormon.com. Go to the TV show, click on that, and it will say Watch Show Live. Click on that, and you can watch it. Streaming video from anywhere in the universe. A uh, house guest tonight, we have Johnny, who brings great candy. Simeon, who calls himself the cool one. We have Logan. We have Jimmy. These are all the lumberjacks, intimidating folk. We have Reed, and we have Mike, our resident scholar. A shout-out to these guys. We also have a shout-out to Tamika in Lehigh and to Mary Marguerite Blanche DuBose, my favorite woman on earth. That is my wife. Bookstores. We have uh, Born Again Mormon is carried in Benchmark Books here in Salt Lake City, Oasis Books in Logan, Christian Gift and Bible in Midvale and in Sandy. If you're interested in getting that, you can also get that by going to our website. And um, you can buy it from the stores. You can buy it from the website. You can get it from us free if you are in a financial strait. It doesn't matter to me which way you get it. Honestly, we just want you to get it and read it and give it to your LDS friends. Sandy Ridge Community Church with Pastor Travis Mitchell is going to start a whole series on... Um, the Trinity, which is a very interesting topic. He's well qualified, and I'll announce later on when that's going to happen, but uh, look forward to that. A reminder that Christ Evangelical down in Happy Valley is meeting at UVSC Grand Ballroom on Sundays at 11 a.m. If you're anywhere near BYU, you ought to check this gathering out. This week's Andy's Christian Movie Recommendation from Andy Aaron Arnes, my actor friend from San Francisco who goes and he watches all good Christian films, recommends, I haven't seen it, but he gives it a triple A, Mrs. Potter. And uh, you can go to www.bornagainmormon.com and you can watch that film, uh, watch, uh, read the recommendations. Heart in the Church, those of you in the Logan Brigham City area, even Ogden, we're going to have a heart in the church this coming Monday. The First Presbyterian Church on Center Street at 7.30 p.m. in Logan. All are invited. Bring your questions, and we'll have a great time talking about the Lord and Mormonism relative to biblical Christianity. Who are you? Just kidding. All right. We're starting. We're going to talk about some. This is my good friend, Jeremy, and he has something to say. Have something to say. <laughs> yes. Go see Meet the Robinsons too. I know I'm not Andy, but oh no, don't listen oh, to okay, this. Okay, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we are doing Heart on the Sea this year, and uh, it's something that I started last year. We call it Fishers of Men, and what it is is men have a, a passion, a desire, just just God put inside of us to hang out together and to 
bond and unite in what we're doing. And Sean's graced us with his presence. He's going to read a lot of books on this trip. <laughs> we have uh, chartered our own boat out of San Diego, and we are going on a deep sea fishing trip. We're going to go uh, out of Point Loma. It's about five minutes from the San Diego airport. We're going deep sea fishing for tuna, for lean cod, all these amazing fish. But we have the boat all to ourselves, and there'll only be about 20 men on it. It's an 80-foot boat. Uh, the, actually, the, the captain of the boat is a uh, Christian, and everybody is welcome to go. There are about 12 spots left. The total cost for the trip is only $620, which is normally about an $850 trip. That includes the boat, uh, fishing, all your tackle, all your meals. The only thing you really have to buy are drinks, uh, pay to clean your fish, and um, uh, if you want to tip the, tip the crew. So. It, it's a time for people to bond, to unite, to get together. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I, I just want to invite everybody to go. So if you're interested, please email me. Uh, I think they'll flash my email. It's at j-e-r-m underscore rob at yahoo.com. Or you can call my cell phone, which is 403-9593. I know I'm giving it out on the air, but that's okay. He's no a brave calls, man, yeah. brave man. <laughs> hey, we're, it's not going to be like the deadliest catch. It's going to be a great time. It won't be rough seas, Mexican waters, and uh, all men on that uh, worshiping God. It'll be a great time. Absolutely. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to uh, just catch fish. Catch fish, absolutely. And just, and just bond. So whether you're LDS, you're Christian, Buddhist, whatever, as Sean always says, you're invited on this trip. Uh, we want to get as many people as possible on this so that, uh, so, so that, we can just talk and talk about all the things that Sean talks about on the show, talk about what God has for us. My passion is for men to leave from this trip and come back as better husbands, better better fathers, better friends. Uh, better fishermen. Better fishermen, yeah. And hopefully with a lot of tuna, which is really good. All right, man. All right, thanks, Sean. Thanks, brother. Take care, buddy. Okay. RNC of Orem, Utah, were uh, at their grandparents' house um, the other day last or a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they picked up a March 2007 Ensign magazine, and uh, that's an LDS magazine, and they sent this to me, and I just want you to hear that. I think it's important. Regarding sin, this magazine currently says, quote, for serious sins, we will need the help of a bishop or another appropriate priesthood leader to complete our repentance. We then must let the Savior judge whether we or he must make the final payment for sin. Okay? That's in the recent LDS mag Church Magazine, the incident. It says that for serious sins that we have to go to the bishop to complete the repentance and then the Savior will decide whether you suffer for that sin or if he will accept the suffering for that sin on the cross. I'm just reading what comes out of their manuals. So you had a big church conference a few weeks ago, and yet you're still putting out things like this. It's complete hogwash. It is soteriological hogwash. Jesus paid for all sins. You go to him with a contrite heart and a broken spirit, and he will forgive you. And he takes that sin on irrespective of what sin it is. LDS Church, Gordon B. Hinckley, you're in a position to not have this kind of stuff printed and put it out, put out to your membership who are put, a yoke is put on their back and they wander around wondering if Jesus paid for their sin or not. 
So, I mean, come on, remove this yoke and turn these people over to Jesus completely that they know that they can trust what he did for them for the sins that they've committed. All right, thanks RNC for sending that. If you have anything that you come across, feel free to uh, email it to us at www.bornagainmormon.com and then we can include those things. You guys teach me a lot. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We're grateful for the airwaves. We're grateful for our audience and for our viewers. We pray that you will be with me. Help me to uh, put up across the things you want me to say and in the way you want me to say it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. We're in the midst of examining the contents of the Book of Mormon. And, you know, I'm going to make a statement that's going to seem very radical to uh, the Christian believers out there. And, uh, but it doesn't really matter because I believe this. But taken in context, I believe that in and of itself, and remember I said in and of itself, the Book of Mormon is a fine Christian testament. The Book of Mormon in and of itself is a very good testament of Christianity. Similar to Pilgrim's Progress, similar to uh, C.S. Lewis's writings, Narnia, similar to uh, Les Miserables, if you would. Can the Book of Mormon lead a person to Christ? I think so. I would certainly say that it can as much as a Bible tract can lead someone to Christ, which is not the Bible, but, or a tract that a pastor writes, it can lead somebody to Christ. The Book of Mormon has the potential to be able to do that. Does the Book of Mormon teach truth? Unquestionably. The Book of Mormon is a classic 19th century Christian document. Okay? It has a few problems, and we're going to address some of those in a minute. But it's a classic Christian document. So you might be saying, so why do you keep attacking it? What's, what's the problem? From my, from my perspective, the Book of Mormon has several issues with it that have to be addressed by the LDS Church if they want to continue on and retain people who are part of their membership in the long run, and if they want to ever be uh, assimilated into the body of Christ. First, though it teaches basic Christian truths, the story of its origins is fraudulent absolutely, categorically fraudulent. You can get mad at me for saying that. You cannot believe it. Whatever you want, the thing's a con. I'm sorry. Had Joseph Smith presented the Book of Mormon to the world as something that he felt compelled to write and give to the church and to the Americas at the time, I think it would, be, I think it would exist as a classic right now. I think that the LDS church would have so less fewer problems. I think they wouldn't have to defend half the stuff they defend. But it was presented automatically as a con, and so automatically it causes problems. Joseph Smith had to play the con. He had to put it into a bunch of mystical stuff that he was involved in at, during the day. The fruit that springs from a con cannot produce good fruit in the end. A seed that is bad, that is buried in fraudulent soil, cannot produce good fruit. Why? Because when people buy into the Book of Mormon as coming from the origins that Joseph Smith says it did, they buy into his additional claims that come as being a storyteller. And the storyteller in the end has led millions and millions of people away from basic fundamental Christian truths. Like that quote I just read out of the ensign. That kind of stuff is a product of people saying, well, this book is so good, everything else must be true too. 
Great counterfeit systems are not easy to detect. They're very tough. Superb counterfeit systems are almost impossible. So let's take a minute more and examine the contents of the Book of Mormon, all the while asking ourselves, are these things included in the Book of Mormon because they came from the mind of an inventive con man at the time? Or are they from uh, golden plates that were buried in the hill, an ancient document? And you will see that uh, its origins have a lot of problems. Okay. Last week we discussed some early American political themes that Joseph included in the Book of Mormon. These included a variety of frontier ideals that helped ward off enemies like anarchy and tyranny in the New Republic. Such ideals included a personal dedication to industriousness, an agrarian approach to labor, avoiding luxury, which included wearing nice clothes, fine apparel, and a rejection of secret combinations or groups like the Masons, which Joseph Smith called the Gadianton robbers in the Book of Mormon. It's important to realize that Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon was in many ways a book of protest. I can't help but appreciate his efforts in writing a book of protest. He looked around his religious community, he looked around at the nation and saw what direction it was headed, and he compiled a book that addressed all the problems and protested against the things that were happening. I don't necessarily blame him for compiling such a book. And when you read it in the context of what the environs were like, I think it's, I think it's well done, you know? But the book is sort of like uh, uh, the advice a parent will give a teenager that is going wayward. And America was a young adolescent at the time. And the Book of Mormon came in at the right time to help address some of these issues that the Smith family found so difficult during their lives. It was a warning and a call for action, and it was a promise of salvation if the nation would repent. If luxury, indolence, nice clothes, and living off the efforts of others was indicative of a nation headed for trouble, then there were few religions that more perfectly represented difficulty than the Catholic Church. And the Book of Mormon addresses the problems with the Catholic Church head on. I think it's important to remember that America was founded by, by Protestants, in essence. The Puritans came over seeking religious freedom. But the Catholics represented to Joseph Smith the complete antithesis of what America wanted to be like and the complete antithesis of what um, Christianity should be. And what we should talk about to see this is through a character in the Book of Mormon whose name was King Noah. All right. Now, as a side and in my opinion, and this is just my opinion as being a novice or inexperienced writer and reader, I think that you can tell a lot about a writer when they write stories where their characters are not very complex. If you find wooden characters in writing, in literature, you'll see a very immature uh, author. If you read the, the biblical accounts of their prophets, you see both sides of the picture. If you look at David, David was a man of great ability, a, a man after God's own heart, a man who was full of a success, a man who was full of failure, a murderer, an adulterer, a repentant man, a poet, a musician. He was really multifaceted. And most biblical characters, you're going to get something like that about them as you read through the Bible. But when you read the Book of Mormon, you get single dimension 
dimensional wooden characters that have, they represent one thing. And I believe that's the, the result of an immature writer. And this is just my side opinion to it, but I think Joseph Smith wanted to make it a didactic lesson. He wanted to say, listen, I want you to understand this, and so therefore I'm going to make King Noah the most corrupt ever. I'm going to make Nephi the best ever. And everybody seems to have these sides. You very rarely have anybody showing more dimension than just these single sides. And so I think that is indicative of the book coming from an immature young mind trying to teach something that he was trying to convey. Okay, just my opinion. Where the Nephite leaders typically fit the hardworking, agrarian a model of virtue, King Noah was the ultimate model for corruption. No other Book of Mormon character more re readily represents all that was wrong with a religion or with the people. All right? Joseph wrote that King Noah in the Book of Mormon, quote, walked after the desires of his own heart and, quote, passed his time in riotous living with his wives and concubines and surrounded himself with wicked priests who possessed similar pensions for luxurious hedonism. That's not a, a quote. Luxurious hedonism is not in the Book of Mormon. According to the Book of Mormon, King Noah and his priests were, quote, supported in their laziness and in their idolatry and in their whoredoms by the taxes which King Noah had put upon his people. Thus did the people labor exceedingly to support iniquity. Now, what would be the result of a person like King Noah in the Book of Mormon if the, if the Nephites, the good nation, followed this wicked King Noah, what would be the result that would happen? The result would be, one, they could be taken over by the savage Lamanites. They could be put into bondage. They could be forced to pay heavy taxes again. All this would be a result of them being a wicked nation. These were the very fears that occurred in America at the time. They feared the savage Indians would come in and take over what they were starting to establish along the coastline of the, the East Coast. They feared these uh, natives would do that. And so this, this speaks to the same thing. They feared that the English would come back and reimpose these, laden them with taxes. This is the same thing going throughout the Book of Mormon, but set in a different way. All right? If these things weren't enough these taxes and these, uh, and these uh, uh, bondages, the whole nation would then just fall into ruin and then uh, everything, that would be, everything would be lost in the Book of Mormon that was held as a value. And the, the message was everything in America is going to be lost unless we repent, unless we follow after the righteous Nephite model, and unless we avoid the corrupt nature that King Noah and the Lamanites represent. Joseph took two of the greatest fears that Americans had, I talked about it last week, anarchy and tyranny, and he embodied them in the Lamanites and in King Noah, all right? But he didn't stop there. He also used the Book of Mormon to summarize the state of Christianity. And this illustrates how Joseph Smith and his whole family from his grandfather back saw Christianity at the time. And he pointed the finger of blame for the condition of Christianity at the Catholics. All right. Now, you're not going to see the word Catholic in the Book of Mormon. You're going to see another title. And this was a very popular thought at the time in America, among the churches, that the devil had taken over the church that Jesus Christ established, and he uh, started a church called the Great and Abominable Church. Now, throughout the Book of Mormon, you read about the Great and Abominable Church. Bruce R. McConkie, now deceased, apostle of the LDS Church, says the Great and Abominable Church is the Catholics. All right? So it was an anti-Catholic church. Why? Because Catholics practiced priestcraft. And the priestcrafts were uh, played out by this King Noah. I know I'm getting deep here, but we've got to cover this because I have to get it on tape. 
In the Book of Mormon, the Pope and his toadies are represented, represented by this King Noah type. They were whoremongers, they were greedy green for wealth, they lived off the labors of the poor, and they persecuted and killed the true followers of Jesus. According to Joseph, this corrupted religious institution removed the plain and precious truths that were in the Bible. And this is what the Protestants believed happened during the Dark Ages and before, that the Catholics controlled the scripture, they wouldn't let anybody read it. This was true. And that they took out many plain and precious things, and now the Book of Mormon had to come forth, be brought to the earth, and it would restore these plain and precious things that had been lost in the Bible because of the Catholic Church. This was not true. Okay, so there's a mixture there uh, uh, going on between them. The difference here is what the answer is to um, the problems in the church at Joseph Smith's time. If you look at any of the uh, groups that came out, the Ellen G. White, the Mary Baker Eddys, the um, Charles Taz Russells, the Joseph Smiths, all of them established their own answer to the condition of the church at the time, forgetting that the Bible clearly lays out that the church would fall into this state. The Bible in Revelation 3 goes through the seven churches, and every one of those churches represent epochs of time that uh, did happen and continue to happen. Well, I believe we're in the last church, Laodicea, where uh, the church has really become weak and deluded, and it's all foretold there in the book of Revelation. But it wasn't that the Lord ever took all his truth from the face of the earth. It wasn't that uh, there was a complete apostasy and there had to be a rest and there had to be a restoration. It was simply that the church was going to go through strong times and weak times, and they started immediately after the time of Christ and the death of his apostles. But this idea of a restoration, and we're going to talk greatly about that next week, this primitive church coming back uh, and being restored is a complete notion of men. Because there's always been a remnant of the true church. If you look from Noah's time, when the flood came, was there a remnant? Yes, because there were people on the ark. There's always been a remnant of God-fearing, God-believing people. If you look at the intertestamentary times between the end of the, New end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, that spate, those 400 years there, there was a remnant there. The Maccabees were there. There's always been a remnant of God-fearing uh, people. When the Jews were put in captivity in Babylonia, they there was a remnant of believers that came through. There's always been a remnant. And when Jesus established his church and said the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he meant it. And he knew that it would not stop the church that he put forward. He established the church at the right time. If he didn't, it would be to say that Jesus came at the wrong time and Joseph had to come and make it right. We know that's not true when you look at the biblical record. So the gates of hell did not prevail against the church, and there wasn't a need for a restoration. But the Book of Mormon lays out, and this is where the Book of Mormon errs and differs from the Bible, it says that these plain and precious truths would be taken out by the Catholic Church, but that God foresaw all this, and he provided a land that was choice above all others, America, and this was a common thought by the people who established America, too. So again, remember, what Joseph Smith said was in the Book of Mormon was taken straight from the thought of the culture at the time, and that uh, an inspired man named uh, Christopher Columbus would come and discover America. And he would discover America because by doing that, we would be able to ultimately discover the golden plates. And by doing that, we would ultimately let Joseph Smith come in, find these golden plates, translate them. And then the plain and precious truths that were lost in the Bible would be restored by the coming forth of this Book of Mormon. That's what the whole story is telling you. But then Joseph does something that blows my mind. I, I just blows my mind. It's the classic 
a con man chutzpah because he throws it in here. It just, it's amazing. What he does is he um, includes his own name in the Book of Mormon. And he says that Joseph of Egypt, remember Joseph who was sold into Egypt by his brother, has a revelation that, that the truths are going to be brought back by a guy named Joseph whose father's name is Joseph. And every, Mormons believe that this is Joseph Smith. And this revelation was given to Lehi, a Book of Mormon character. And he, he's telling his son about this. And that this Joseph, and, who has a father named Joseph, is going to come forward hundreds and hundreds of years later. And he's going to restore these truths to the earth. I mean, that would be like Tyndale, including his name in the book of John. You know, and the Lord, he walked on water and then he looked around and said, uh, so someone named Tyndale is going to come forward and bring forth uh, the Bible. I mean, that's exactly what the parallel is here. And we believe it. Latter-day Saints believe that this Joseph was mentioned of 2,600 years before he ever came to earth by Joseph in Egypt. I mean, it is the chutzpah. The boldness is amazing. And yet people buy it. In 2 Nephi chapter 3, if you're interested, you can read about how Joseph, who was in Egypt, told about Joseph uh, coming forward and that he would be named after his father, who was Joseph too. Because the Catholic Church removed the many precious things from the Bible, causing an, uh, a great many, according to the Book of Mormon, to stumble uh, and placing them, quote, in the power of Satan, God would raise a choice seer up, and Joseph Smith calls himself a choice seer in the Book of Mormon, and who would restore these plain and precious truths by placing them in the Book of Mormon. The important thing is, though, what plain and precious things are in the Book of Mormon that were restored to the church uh, that are not in the Bible? And they are very few and far between. They talk, they answer many of the questions that were going on about the return of Christ, some eschatology. They talk, the Book of Mormon talks a little bit about uh, the age of baptism for children. But, but let me tell you this. The Book of Mormon does not restore any of these plain and precious truths that Mormons believe today. The Book of Mormon does not talk about temples, temple endowments, I mean eternal marriage, or baptisms for the dead. It doesn't talk about the garden as a dual place of atonement with the cross. It doesn't talk about three degrees of glory. It doesn't talk about a mother in heaven. It doesn't talk about man becoming God or God having been a man. It doesn't talk about Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood. It doesn't talk about the, uh, God having a, um, that God has a uh, physical body. It doesn't talk about the conception of Jesus. It doesn't talk about the plurality of gods, the word of wisdom, polygamy, except to denounce it. It doesn't talk about a pre-mortal life, except there's one subtle reference to it that some LDS claim. It doesn't talk about blood atonement. It doesn't talk about the nature of Satan or angels. It doesn't talk about polytheism. It is a Christian book borrowing from the Christian themes of the 19th century, as well as the other themes going on and put out to you as it was translated from Golden Plates. I hope that you'll be able to see as we continue on, I know it's a lot of information, the study of the Book of Mormon and its contents. Did this stuff come from golden plates? And if you can say, I don't believe it did, then you can also say, I don't believe the book is divine. Let's go to the phones, 801-973-TV20. 801-973-TV20. We're going to Don, first time caller in Farmington. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I have a comment first. First of all, I am LDS, okay. and I get highly offended when people call in and make comments about you because 
to me that shows that they're not very faithful in their religion. So I appreciate what you're doing. And my question is, um, I've been a member since uh, 84. Okay. And I'm from L.A. And I moved to Utah about 10 years ago. And since I've been here, I've struggled with the church. And recently, um, I was given a blessing. And it said to research the man Joseph Smith and find out who he was. And since then, I've been watching your show, and I've been doing some of my own research. And now that I'm doing that and finding that I not necessarily believe everything that he's done or am happy with things that he's done, now the church is telling me, oh, you better be careful. You're on the verge of apostasy. Right. How do I deal with that and the um, fear of, well, what if it is true when I'm going away from it, when I'm feeling so many um, conflicting stories and the way I see bishops hold courts and stuff with people that I know? Yeah. And go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just agreeing with you. Don, you know, there's uh, the best recommendation I have, and uh, though it sounds like a, a kind of a canned response, but the best recommendation I have is to go to God uh, every day and just say, Lord, I need you. I'm turning my will, my life. I'm asking you to show me the truth. I, I don't trust what Sean McCraney is saying. I'm listening. I don't trust what my bishop's saying. I'm going to continue to read up on Joseph Smith. I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm asking you to show me the truth. And I know, Don, that as you do that, he will not fail you. That's the best response I could give you. Okay, I appreciate it. And uh, you keep searching because it's through that searching that you begin to discover stuff that you never learned when you joined the church in Los Angeles and that they don't talk about now but still believe. Well, and that's true because they never told me about Joseph Smith having more than one wife. I was never told that there was more than one God. Yeah. And I does was that, never told about polygamy. Does that so, more than one wife uh, subject interest you at all? Because if it does, uh, I would highly recommend a book that's called uh, In Sacred Loneliness. And the author is, author is, what is it? Yeah, Todd Compton. And uh, it, you should read that book for an absolutely, he's LDS, amazing insights into what polygamy did and was and how Joseph Smith practiced it. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that. All right, Don. God bless you. Keep in touch and tell us how it's going. Okay, I will. Thank you. You have a good night. All right, you too. Bye-bye. We're going to Skyler on line three. Skyler, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. You know, I've been watching your show for the... And, you know, I, I believe that you're really good at what you do. Um, but recently, watching your show, um, you know, I'm full-hearted. I'm a full-blooded Mormon, and I have lived my life, all, my, all of my life, to the Mormon teachings. And I truly believe what... Is, has been told and what I've read and what I haven't experienced. But I, I kind of feel a little upset about your show because I feel that all that your show is doing, um, my friend watches it, and he's kind of been following down the path saying that he doesn't want to believe in the church anymore, that he says there is no God, that he says there is no, no, Joseph Smith was a liar and everything. And, he's, and I asked him, I go, where did you get this information? He says, well, I have been watching your show called Heart of the Matter, and I've turned it in, and, you know, I believe that you're doing really good, but I just want to know, how can you say that the book is not true when 
all my life I have believed it, and I have read it, and I have studied it, and, and, and have felt that deepness within my heart that it's true. How can you say that it's fake when I can find no proof that it isn't? Okay, um, that's a really big question, and so let me just try to explain it the best to my ability. When I say the book is not true, I'm talking about its origins. Much of the Book of Mormon themes are taken from the Bible, literally, direct quotes. And so when you read it, if when you read truth, you're going to read truth. There are very few things in there that are going to make you say this is a false book. So I don't think when you read it, you're going to have an impression that it's evil or wrong. So that's one of the, I, I really seriously believe it is bait. And I think that you go after that, that sweet smelling bait, but then you got to buy into everything else that came along later. Now, as far as it being uh, authentic and true in the sense that it came from golden plates, I'm sorry, Skylar, but you just, you just got to read and, and just examine all the evidence, and you'll find that uh, the composition, the context, the anachronisms in the book, are, it's just, it's, soon it's going to come out that it, the, the church is going to have to do something with it, and they will eventually. And you'll just keep going along, being a member, and saying, well, the brethren decided, and they realized, and they've changed, and so... Yeah, that, that, but and as far but that's that's the best answer I can give you. Now here's one question I have for you in response. Oh yeah, and try uh, utlm.org for more information if you're looking for it. But here's a question I have for you: What kind of church produces people that when they discover that there are things wrong with their church, those people become atheists? Because this is a, I mean, I get so many emails from people who have turned from God himself when they find out the facts of Mormonism. Now, if you were a Baptist or if you were a Methodist or if you were a Calvary Chapel or any of these churches and you found out that the pastor was an idiot or that the, the, something was wrong with it, you wouldn't become an atheist typically. You would just move to another church. So what kind of religion is it that produces atheists as a result? I honestly don't know that answer. All I know is with, with people that believe that they're falling to the atheists is because they must have seen something they didn't believe, didn't want to believe in, and decided that, you know what, I guess it's, I guess it's just an easy way out. I guess it's not it, easy, Skylar. Their heart is broken. Let me tell you, my, my friend, this is it. I'm, I'm, on, I'm, being, I'm trying to be as straight with you as possible. You have built your entire what? culture. You've built your entire life. You've built your entire future here on earth and in the, in the heavens on everything that Mormonism teaches you. And when you discover that it's not what it says it is, your world crumbles and you fall apart completely. And I see very good people that that happens to. And that is something that makes the anger in me come out. And that's why I get accused of being angry, because I know the destruction it does on people who can't manage it. That's, that's a real problem. You know, there, there was... Uh... One last thing I wanted to ask you. Um, you said, um, you know, I was reading the other day, and something just really came up with me. Um, I read the I read the Bible, and you know, I believe in it. I believe that there is that its truth is its truth. Uh huh. And the other day I was reading, and I'm, I'm sure you have probably read DNC. I'm sure you have, have taken a look at Doctrine and Covenants. I was looking at one of the sections saying that God was told the told that there was going to be a war within the southern states. Uh-huh. And this was years before. This was in 1832. This was even before, you know, and I have really truly looked in the Bible, and I have not seen 
I have not seen anything within the Bible saying, okay, there will be a war within the southern states that will cause hmm. slavery and that will cause great bloodshed upon the, upon the inhabitants of the earth. Skyler, the Bible, remember, was written for Jerusalem, and it doesn't talk about America you know, it doesn't give prophecies for it. That's the first response. The second response is you really should read what was being said in the newspapers and by politicians and by all kinds of people about what was coming forward in America. That civil war was imminent, and that was no prophecy. That was just a speculative uh, guess. And I'm not saying Joseph Smith wasn't smart. I think he could see the signs of the times. But if you read the contextual uh, information of the time, you'll see that it was not as a miraculous of a uh, prophecy as you think it was. All right, my friend? Okay, thank you, sir. Thanks, hey. thanks for the call. Thanks for answering those questions for me. All right, thanks for being nice. Okay, bye. We're going to Suzanne, first-time caller, uh, line four from Provo. Suzanne, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, first of all, I want to say um, I'm an ex- uh, Mormon. I'm a returned missionary and an ex-Mormon. Wow. And uh, I love your show, and I go to all your hearts in the church in in Provo or Amaria. Awesome. And I have a, a something I would like you to comment on. Okay. Uh, my cousin, who is has become really dissatisfied with the church, he's a member, and he's really dissatisfied with the church. Well. Uh, he's kind of leaning toward leaving, but he's not quite sure. He was in uh, his neighborhood and ran into his bishop, and, you know, he started a friendly conversation with the bishop, and he told him, you know, I talk to Jesus um, all the time, and he gives me a lot of comfort. And the bishop told him, you shouldn't be talking to Jesus, and you shouldn't be praying to Jesus. Right. And I just think, like, this, I, I talk to Jesus all the time. I just think it's, it's a load of bull, you know what. Yeah. And I just wanted to get, I, I thought this would be a good, uh, just some good discussion material, and I just wanted to get you to comment on that. Yeah, it is, it is good discussion material, and it, and it has to do a lot with their doctrine and their view of God the Father being separate and distinct from Jesus, that God the Father... Uh, uh, made Godhood, and that our Jesus' communications when He was on the earth were to the Father. Jesus' will was to the Father. Jesus prayed to the Father. And therefore, us following Jesus should do the same thing, pray to the Father. And so they, they, they strictly enforce that. You don't hear prayers to Jesus. Uh, what makes a, a big difference in the Christian world when you become a Christian is you realize that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, and so when you pray to Jesus, you're praying to the Father, you're praying to God, one God, not, not polytheistic. And so those lines separate. I have to tell you, though, when I came out of Mormonism, it was a good long while. Even in, uh, when I went to school uh, with a bunch of Christians, I still had trouble praying to Jesus. I mean, it was, just, it was just put in me. You just don't pray to Jesus. But then I also realized that when I was really in trouble that I would say, oh, Jesus, help me. And that developed in me and grew to me that now it is a normative thing. So yeah. I hopefully yeah. that hopefully that bishop's advice will kind of sink into your brother or your whoever he was heart and help him see the difference. Yeah, yeah. My cousin uh, commented that that advice made him feel really bad and negative for a long time, and he, you know, it had a negative effect on him and made him feel really negatively towards. Uh, the Mormon 
uh, doctrine about Jesus. Good. Those type of experiences help lead people out. And they did with me and they did with a lot of other people. So that's a good thing. And there's yeah. also biblical examples of people praying to Jesus. I think Stephen, when he was stoned, I think, prayed to Jesus. I think yeah. he said, Jesus, save me, or, or whatever he said. But I yeah, feel, exactly. yeah. Hey, thank you so much for the call. Yeah, you're welcome. Look forward to seeing you in Provo or Maria and watching your show and enjoying it very much. So have a good, have a good evening. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. We have a Mr. D, first-time caller from Bountiful. These, these unique names scare me, I have to tell you. Every time we get a unique name, a Zelf or a Mr. D, I get a little worried. All right, Mr. D from Bountiful, what's happening? Hi, Sean. I'm a first-time caller. I love your show. I just had an answer to your question, one of your questions last week, about who named Hill Kimura. Oh, good, yeah. I've gotten a few responses by that, and I forgot to bring them. Share it with us. Well, I talked to a relative of mine who uh, was a dean at BYU, and he told me that actually that Oliver Cowdery yeah. named Hill Kimura Hill Kimura. And he said something to the effect of, out of the mouth of Kimura comes the word. Mm. And that's sort of how it began. Mm. But he also told me some other interesting things. I asked him if he still uh, conversed with those farm boys down there. And he said he did. And I asked him if, he ever, if, if, he, if there had been any artifacts or evidence of any kind had had been discovered that that uh, showed proof of the uh, Book of Mormon and he said that no there wasn't and that he he doubted that they ever would find any <laughs> and so I questioned him a little bit more on it he said that he there was a, there's this two Hill Cumorah theory one one of them that that is not the Hill Cumorah where um, the battle was but that Moroni traveled for 28 years, and this, the, the other one is down in Central America somewhere, but he came clear up into New York, and that's where he buried them. That's a different Hill Cumorah. Oh, the double Hill Cumorah theory. I love it. That hill down there has uh, two saddles in it that are big enough to hide an army of thousands of people with five rivers running out of them that could sustain um, water and uh, huh. armies for a long time. This keeps growing, doesn't it? Yeah. But anyway, I had one more question. Um, did I hear Jeremy say that you're going to, uh, to be on that heart on the... Yeah, I'm, go I'm going fishing with you. Well, I'm going too. I can't wait. Awesome. Well, email Jeremy, and uh, I look forward to spending time with you, man. All right. All right. Thanks so much. You bet. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Ron, first-time caller in Roy. Ron, you're on Heart of the Matter. Ron. Hey, how uh, you doing? I got some jets flying over Roy here. Wow. Hey. I love what you're doing. I think the truth hurts people. And, uh, you know, the fairy tale's yeah. coming out, and then you're helping putting an end to it. Two quick questions for you. Yes. Um, what language were they speaking when they left Jerusalem 500 years before Christ? Were they speaking Hebrew? I would assume so, yes. So when they got to the New World on their little submarines or whatever, <laughs> what, what did they invent a new language, Sean? What... Did they just come up with this new language all, the, all of a sudden? Yeah. Or, or, or would they have continued to speak Hebrew, do you think? I would have thought it would, still be Hebrew, it would still be Hebrew, but I know there's all kinds of different things on that. We're going to cover the language in a few shows, but 
I don't know what happened to the Hebrew language. I know that the time frame for languages to die and change to other languages is way too short according to the scholars, but uh, I'll have to get some more definitive facts on what the LDS say to that. Yeah, we'll have to get a, a, a glottal chronologist, <laughs> one who specializes in that. Yeah. Uh, my second question is, when they uh, murdered Laban and stole the, the records, yeah. and they brought his sword, yeah. and so they, obviously they had metal when they came to the New World. Right. Did they just start flint napping for the next thousand years? <laughs> because I know the earliest metallurgical records in South America, the earliest are only 1,400 years ago, Yeah. Um, from what I know, and that was just simple copper copper work. Um, and a comment, <laughs> the Hill Cumorah back east, I imagine, didn't Joseph Smith say that it opened up and there was wagonfuls and wagonfuls of yeah. plates? Yeah. And that was in a vision, I thought. That? Joseph Fielding Smith, I thought, had the vision of that. I could be wrong. Okay. But the Hill Cumorah certainly in New York was the place where everything was to have taken place. This new theory of a different Hill Cumorah, I think, is recent. Okay. Probably and a Sean, product do they, of farms. Do they know exactly where <laughs> the Book of Mormon took place physically? Was it in South America or was it in the eastern United States? It was, uh, no, I think it was in South America, but now they're changing that. I don't know the answers, what they're saying, because it's starting to get mixed up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but we will cover that as sure. we go on. Um, Frederick G. Williams had a vision in the Kirtland Temple right when it was dedicated. Uh-huh. And his vision, and we have a copy of it in his handwriting, um, he knows the exact longitude and latitude of where they landed. Wow. And I'll get that email to you. Maybe I love you it. Share it with your viewers. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Hey, I think you're doing great. Thanks so much. Thanks for telling the truth, man. Thanks love for you. your information. Bye-bye. Love you too. Bye. Okay, we're going to Steve, first-time caller in Salt Lake. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. All right. You're on the air, Steve. Well, my question is, um, I want to find out, um, I'm a first-time caller, and I want to find out uh, just exactly why um, you go to so much trouble to discredit the, the Mormon religion um, and then claim to be Christian, on the other hand, um, with Christianity basically, Christianity, or Christianity, uh, basically embraces the belief that we don't bash other religions, we don't do those kind of things. And yet, from watching your program, that's what I'm seeing or hearing, mm. is a lot of people who have decided they don't want to be um, part of the Mormon faith, mm -hmm. and yet it's kind of a free-for-all mm -hmm. uh, about uh, trying to kind of hammer the LDS people over and over again for, for, for no reason. I'm just the, the reason I do it, Steve, is because I am a Christian. And I became a Christian at the side of the road, and I came to know who Jesus was, and I received uh, a forgiveness and a peace, and the load off my back as a Latter-day Saint was lifted. And uh, I knew that there were plenty. I'm not saying all. If the stalwart Mormons want to be stalwart Mormons, let them go. I have no audience for them. I have no voice with them. I don't talk to them. But I know that there are a lot of people who have problems with sin. And when they go to the LDS church, they haven't found and discovered the solution to sin, which is Jesus. And so I do this for the people who are looking 
for something to give them peace that doesn't come from this world. And that's why I do it. Okay, and so you're saying that the LDS religion, a, a religion which is also Christian, whether you choose to believe that or not, they hold the same beliefs as any other Christian religion. Oh, you seem to think that they can find it everywhere else but with the Mormon religion, and okay. that, that just kind of puzzles me. You just Well, Steve, in, in your delivery of your questions and comments, what you do is you build up arguments that are fallacious. You, say, you preface your comments by saying things like, Mormonism is Christian in every way that Christians are Christian, and, so, and, then, and then you make your comment. The problem is, is your, your premise is wrong. Mormonism is completely different than Christianity. And if you believe that it's the same, then you just haven't been informed. All right? And, and I, I, that's all I can say. I mean, it's really, you're speaking without knowledge of the subject. Well, that's, when I'm, that's basically what I'm hearing from you on your program also. Yeah. yeah. You, you make a lot of supposition. And, but I'm not hearing anybody that's really... Everything I give is not supposition. I'm giving you stuff from the history. Part of the Bible or anything else, you just kind of throw things out there. I'm not throwing anything out. I, 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 I print my notes on the Internet. They're all available. I have not had anybody from farms, any LDS scholar coming back and saying, hey, this is wrong, or this date was wrong, or this didn't happen, or that's incorrect. Never, ever. All I have are guys coming with their opinions like you and saying, hey, Sean, you're just throwing stuff out, but you don't prove it. I, everything I say I think is pretty well founded, and if it's not, I say, this is my opinion, I just think this. You know, I'm not perfect, but Steve, I can tell you right now, Jesus, the Savior and grace is not taught in Mormonism, and the people in that church are under a yoke of bondage that was done away with at the cross. That's why I do what I do, Steve. Well, I understand. It sounds like you're getting a little bit upset. See, that's it's not I, upset. I'm just being emphatic with the caller who refuses to hear. Refuses to what? Believe what you believe? Well, I hope you believe what I believe. Okay, what I'm saying is, is what, you, what this, this looks like is a little program to bash a certain religion. And Which is wrong. Up that way. And now I just call in with a different opinion and you get a little well, hot under the call. Well, you're calling a show that stands for something. Of course I'm going to get hot under the call. I'm going to debate you, Steve. I'm not going to go, oh, you're a Christian? You believe everything Christians believe? Well, then I didn't know that, Steve. Thanks for calling. I mean, this is a show where I was LDS, I am now Christian, and, and, and I show you the differences. What do you expect? Well, I expected a little more professionalism. I'm not, you're not going to get professionalism. I'm not a professional TV guy. That's true. No, I'm just a guy up here sharing it. That's it. Sorry. Well, All right? I'm sorry, too. You know, it's more, instead of, it sounds a little less sharing, it's more like losing it. Well, I don't care what you think about all this, Steve. You have, a, you have an agenda when you called, and your agenda's not working. Everything you've said, that Mormonism's Christian by any sense of the word is not right. You said that I just throw things out. Everything I put is on our internet. You can read it. I've never been questioned on it except by guys like you. What do you want me to say? You're giving me valid points? Your points are not valid. Well, they're invalid. Just opinion. And you get to be the TV guy, and I don't. I let you have all the time you want on the air. You haven't given me anything worthwhile, Steve. Well, anything that you want to hear. When you get something you don't want I'm to letting hear, you talk. Is it? I'm letting you talk. Well, I understand, and you're getting pretty upset about it. Uh, upset is a relative term. You want to see me upset, you got to visit my house sometime. You don't know upset, my friend. Oh. So come on. Back off on the personal ad hominem attacks about my demeanor on TV, and give me something that's going to make me shut up. Give me something in Mormonism that's going to make me shut up. What would you like? Okay, this is ridiculous. We're going on. Thanks, man. All right. Call again. 
We're going to John, first time caller in Syracuse. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, good evening. How are you? Yeah, hey, doing well. How are you? doing very well. Hey, a uh, quick comment uh, to the call that just came in. Uh, I actually wanted to comment also on the, the lady who called from L.A. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm kind of fence-sitting right now, doing my study and looking back and forth. I've actually called you before oh. um, and received your book and, and going through it. Appreciate that. Uh -huh. um, but my biggest thing is, is this religion, okay, we've all been raised in it, so somewhat brainwashed, if you will, uh -huh. um, and taught to feel, hey, this is what that particular feeling is, okay? Right. And then to feel backstabbed almost when you start to question mm -hmm. is, is really what, you know, that lady was talking about. It's really my heart, if you will, heart of the matter, but it really is where I come from on all this. This religion literally was founded on a man who literally did the very same thing, who questioned are these other religions correct? That's true. Okay? And when somebody else wants to get the idea to, hey, find it, find that relationship, you know, on your own, mm -hmm. not, not do what mom and dad did, but actually find it with God, mm -hmm. you know, we're questioned. And so I've had both experiences, okay? I've had plenty of people that have been very, very good with me as I'm doing my own little discovery, but I've also had the other side. So I just want for all people who are listening, because I, I do see that a lot of LDS people watch the show, um, I just want them to take that into effect and take that into to mind. People literally have the right to question. It's how we will gain a better relationship with God. And so at that, that point, I wanted to make that mention. I also had one quick question, too. Yeah. You, earlier you would mentioned some of the things that were not in the Book of Mormon, okay, okay. and that came later. Um, is there a way to get that, or can you just quickly name those again? Uh, what do you mean that we're not in but came later? You, you named a few things that were not in the book. Oh, before. yeah. Yeah, uh, that's in the book, by the way. Um, if you, As you get later on in the book, you'll see those things listed. Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. And uh, also you can go to utlm.org and you can get that kind of information as well. Okay. Hey, I, I really appreciate your comments because they're really well-placed. Uh, search. I've said, don't trust me. You can take the information I give. Just search. That's all you need to do is search with an open mind. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you. Appreciate what you're doing. And, and regardless of what a lot of people uh, do call in and say, I think it makes people stop to think. And I think that's what most of us need to do. We're raised by, and there has to be a time when you go on your own quest, your own vision, if you will. And I think you're stirring people up. So I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. By the way, I want you to know that Boyd K. Packer, I hope I'm not misquoting who this originally came from, but I'm pretty certain Boyd K. Packer said, when the brethren have spoken, the thinking has been done. Okay? And I want you to know that I would want nothing to do with any organization that tells me the thinking has been done by somebody else. The Lord gave you a mind. He gave you a heart. He gave you eyes and ears. Use them and search out the truth. Okay? Let's go to the next caller. Scott, first-time caller in Taylorsville. Scott, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hi. Bless you, brother, for uh, your strength and commitment. Thanks, man. To helping LDS people. Praise God. Hey, uh, I uh, had a quick uh, comment and a question. I was looking through the Doctrine and Covenants mm -hmm. and uh, Section 137 about... Uh, I was amazed to find out that it said that uh, people who die without hearing, you know, the, the gospel of the LDS Church automatically are heirs to the Celestial Kingdom and those that live in faraway lands and that will receive the celestial kingdom if they don't get a chance to hear the gospel. And wow. I wanted your take on that. 
I didn't know it said that, to be honest with you. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants, I didn't know that it said they inherit the Celestial Kingdom. I'll have to check out 137, you said? 137. It's the same, same part that talks about the children who die before they're right. capable. Right. I knew that one was Celestial Material, die before the age of eight, before the accountability. But let me check out the other one. I'll comment on it next week. Uh, verse 7 and 8. And then I had a question for you. You're, you're a former uh, Temple Mormon, yeah. I, I take it. Yeah. Um, the stuff I've read in the Godmakers about the endowment ceremonies uh-huh. are pretty much factual. Uh, read the Godmakers when I was on a mission. Couldn't tell you what he said, but I know Ed Decker is uh, famous for saying ridiculous things. Sorry, Ed. And uh, he's done more harm in, uh, in the way uh, uh, people try to reach Mormons than good. And so uh, I think that you have to be very careful when people start uh, saying the kind of things that he has said in the past. Well, I, yeah, I read the book, and it, and it kind of, you know, I felt that at first, and then I started to feel, you know, wanting to help Mormons instead of, I don't want to bash Mormons, uh-huh. you know. And, and my finding, you know, Jesus in my life helped me, and it makes me feel sad, you know, that these people are being misled. Yeah. And so, you know, I've kind of gotten away from, from you know, the bashing and thing, but, uh, you know, I, it kind of makes me think that they're, you know, the, the original lie that you will become gods, and, you know, the, the first lie is kind of what's being sold to, you know, Mormons now. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right about that. I think that is. That's a good point someone else brought up in an email, and, and uh, Satan, you know, uh, whispered, you know, you'll become gods as you eat of this fruit, and, and uh, the same lie is perpetrated today. Really good comments, my friend. Hey, thank you. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. We have a minute 30 seconds left. We have another caller, but we don't have time. I just wanted to uh, thank you all for tuning in and understand that I do have a heart and love for Latter-day Saints. When I sit with Latter-day Saints, and I do quite often, at a meal or somewhere else, I meet with them, I sit by them on planes, uh, I just talk about the Lord Jesus and how he saved me. That's what I would do on this show if it wasn't a call-in show probably. But because it's calling, I have to defend the, uh, the statements that we are Christian, we do believe in Jesus, and I know you do believe in Jesus, and, and, and all the other stuff that comes along with it. So just understand this is for information, and uh, we go on from there. Heart in the Church this Monday night, April 16th, 7.30 p.m. at First Presbyterian Church in Logan. All are invited. Bring your friends, believers, non-believers, Christians, uh, LDS, doesn't matter. Love to meet you, talk with you, and we'll go about an hour and a half, and then it's done. So heart in the church. Remember, if you have questions about the upcoming events, you can go to www.bornagainmormon.com and uh, find out all the information you want. We also have a new blog coming up on there that's really going to be neat and give you a lot more liberty and freedom in posting and responding to different categories instead of having it uh, as it's been set up. So uh, I pray for uh, you, I pray for me, and I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.